Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Hi, this is Angela Breidenbach with Historically Speaking, and I have a wonderful guest here with me today who also is a friend. Her name is Cynthia L. Simmons. She's a writer, she's a speaker, and she is a wonderful lady. I've had the opportunity to be at writing conferences with her and at some different events where we've just been able to get to know each other a little bit. And I'm just really thrilled to bring her here so you can get to know her as she tells you a little bit about the true historical love story that comes out of the Civil War era. Cynthia L. Simmons has her own uh, podcast, and I want her to real quick tell you a little bit about that. And then we're going to dive into the love story of the Macaulay family. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome. Hi. It's good to be with you, Angela. Can you tell us what the name of your podcast is in case somebody would like to listen to you more after our show? Yes, it's Heart of the Matter Radio. I do stream live on Thursdays, and then I post as a podcast on my website, which is clsimmons.com, and at SoundCloud. That is awesome. And I'll probably have you repeat that toward the end of the show so folks have a chance to um, pick it up and listen to you a couple times. But right now, folks, I want you to sit back with a cup of tea or a coffee or if you're anything like me, an energy drink. (laughs) And we're going to entertain you a little bit with the past of our country that all of us have come together to be who we are because of the people that went before. And it's so honoring to be able to share these kinds of stories. Cynthia, what got you interested in um, the Civil War era? Well, I'm interested in any kind of history. And the Civil War was kind of handy because I grew up in a town where there was a battle fought. I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And that was kind of Mm -hmm. a major city for the North to take because all the railroads ran through there. So it was kind of opening the South to them. So because I grew up with all that stuff, I naturally was interested. I grew up climbing on cannons and stuff like that, which now they don't let you do. But that was a real easy transition to research. And I'm the kind of person who loves to read anything that somebody wrote 150 years ago. And so you give me um, a, a diary or a bunch of letters and I am in heaven. I love it. I'm right there with you. I, in fact, uh, have a copy of my grandfather's autobiography that I'm redoing so that people are able to get it by, you know, ebook and that kind of thing. I haven't titled it yet, though. And then I, I also have a copy of my grandmother's. Um, she had just written one. I swear that that paper was maybe it was four or five inches square, you know, and she wrote front back, mm-hmm. front back for about 20, yeah. 30 pages. And in, I think it was in pencil. So I did take it to a copier mm-hmm. and I copied it and I blew it up so that it was, you know, closer to the standard size, mainly so I could preserve it and actually read it, which was, mm-hmm. you know, a really cool thing to do. So folks, I'm going to give you a tip today about genealogy, how to trace your genealogy, those kinds of things. In the last couple of shows, we've talked about making sure you start with the closest relatives, your, your family, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents. You start there and then you go backward in time. And the reason is you can find things like Cynthia just mentioned, letters and journals and diaries from people that are 
uh, either still alive today or that their family members have not gotten rid of their papers and things like this. A lot of people think the those papers, those journals, and those certificates, uh, I just had a really tough time finding my grandfather's wedding, his marriage certificate to my grandmother, and I just got notified this morning that they found it. Now what I'm hoping is it's his with my grandma, my grandmother and not his with his first wife who passed away, you know, without having children. But if you can get together any of these actual documents, these are what they call proofs. They, they're proof of life that these people existed. But if you want to trace back your genealogy and know that they're really your people, for instance, we've mentioned um, my people is not likely the Thomas Nelson Jr. that signed the Declaration of Independence. My people is Thomas Nelson Jr. and Sr. that were in the 1st Battalion, the Rifleman in um, Pennsylvania. And the other guy was from Virginia. So in order to have proof that these people existed, you have to find some sort of real documentation. So letters, journals that can clue you in that these are real people are very, very helpful. And I understand, Cynthia, you found a website that helped you trace the Macaulay family. I did, but I found a lot of stuff in the Chattanooga Library as well as, um, you know, just letters and diaries that have been published. At this point, one of the brothers, uh, one of the great-grandsons, actually, published Thomas Hook Macaulay's um, memoirs. And so you can actually buy the book from Westbow Press. After I did all the digging in the library, I discovered that, yeah, that was there, too. So, yes, there is a, there are lots of sites, actually, online where you can do that. And uh, I have used one of them, and it's very helpful to be able to find relatives and so on. So what was the, what oh. was the uniqueness about this story, the Macaulay family? Well, it was interesting to me because I grew up going up and down Chattanooga streets, and a lot of them were called Macaulay Avenue and things like that. The name was there. And so I discovered there was a family named Macaulay. I got interested in the family, of course, and began to research. And it happens that um, before Chattanooga was named Chattanooga, it was Ross's Landing. And Mr. Macaulay's father had come when he was a little boy, and then he had kind of grown up in Chattanooga. As he got older, he decided to go away to seminary, so he left town, and he thought he was never going to go back. Do you want me to go ahead and tell the love story? I'm not sure what you want me to tell right now. Absolutely. Okay. What happened was that after he decided to go to seminary, he had, you know, all his friends were graduating and getting married, and he didn't have anybody on his mind at all. But he decided to join the denomination that his father had been in, and so he had to go to Cleveland, Tennessee to do that. And um, while he was there, there was a little party given for the people that were going to join this denomination. And he saw a woman by the name of Ellen, and she was very pretty, but she was also very demure and very um, self-controlled. She was a, a very small person, very small features, uh, but brilliant and very, very sweet. Well, he was very attracted, but at that point, he had taken the church in Mississippi, so he figured he would never see her again. Well, he did take the church in Mississippi, and while he was there, he met her aunt, and he thought, well, this is really good, but, you know, I'm never going to see this lady again unless God will, so he was just going to forget about it. So it happened that his father passed away, and he still lived in Chattanooga, so he ended up having to go home to Chattanooga to take care of his mother, who was also ill, and to settle his father's affairs. So he needed a job, and he started applying at churches, and he got a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, which is about 30 miles northeast of Chattanooga. 
And at that time, there was a railroad. So he would simply go two weekends a month up to this little church and pastor. And he discovered who was at that church, but Ellen Jarnigan, the person that he was interested in. The thing is, he was pastor, though. And what do you do? How do you court a girl when you're only there on weekends and you're the pastor? He did have a few (laughs) conversations with her, but she was so quiet and so self-controlled that he didn't know what she thought of him at all. She was a school teacher in a little school up there, and he knew that she was brilliant. And so he started asking around, what was her temper like? Was she someone that could you know, handle being a pastor's wife? And he discovered that, yes, she was a very, very calm, even-tempered person. And if you look back on that saying later, you know, I really should have been worried about me and what she thought about me, but I had no idea. So at one point he decided, I've tried everything. I've tried to get along with her. I can't. So he simply wrote her a letter to propose. And it was a really funny letter. When I read it, I thought, I cannot believe that this man is writing a letter. And he said, The letter still exists? The letter in my head. Oh my yeah, gosh. Oh yeah. Are you are you gonna read it? For I have us? a copy of it. I don't have the exact letter, but he said, I can say truthfully, I prefer you above any woman I have ever known or seen in my life. I only ask you to grant me the privilege of giving you all the love and honor of my heart and that I will esteem the favor of you that you give me far greater than the securement of any earthly good. And he asked her not to refuse him because he used this little poem for the flower of love once blighted never blooms again. Can you slow it down? Slow it down and tell us that poem again. He said, the flower of love once blighted never blooms again. So basically, he didn't even know she would like him. He's going, please, I'm in love with you. Please marry me. (laughs) (laughs) And so, isn't that a scream? I just, I'm sitting here thinking of uh, a young man today and the lost art of of romance sometimes i uh-huh. man i would love to hear from listeners that have heard uh some romantic gesture like that today i think this is something we need to teach our our sons that they would be so uh caring and romantic with their wives isn't that what we as women crave <laughs> yes oh yes yes And, you know, he told her in the letter, I would have rather talked to you, but I couldn't find you anywhere by yourself. And so if you'd like me to come talk to you face to face, I will. But I would rather you just tell me yes or no by letter. Oh. But it it also tells us he was a little bit uh, shy himself. And I wonder if his, if her father would have seen that as, as texting. (laughs) Nowadays, well, you know, they say that they they text back and forth to to set a date or or go, you know, or even to break up or something like this. And and this fellow is mailing a letter, but it's something that's in your hand. Yeah. It's you know, it's real. It's like you have it now. Yeah. How many years later? You know, it's just like, uh, gosh, must be what five generations later, and you're holding a letter. Well. Yeah, this was 1861. Her father was actually Mm -hmm. dead. He had been a senator at that, you know, but he died before this actually happened. So she talked about her mother approving of the suit. Oh, wow. Yes. She actually said, I will state that your suit meets with the approbation of my mother. Wow. 
And, and the formality of the, the language is amazing to me. And yet they didn't consider that as unusual. Mm -mm. Can you repeat her words they to didn't. him? She said, I will state that this, your suit meets with the approbation of my mother. Wow. Okay, continue. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll read a little bit of the first part of it. Um, I would have acknowledged the reception of your letter sooner, but I suppose you'd be absent from Chattanooga before I could reply. I will also speak in terms as plain and frank as your own. And so she goes on to say that she would accept his proposal, which, you know, I don't know if I could do that when I had just known the man and had not had any interaction with him privately. I think I would have been a little uncomfortable, but apparently she knew enough about him that she felt comfortable. Wow. I would say the same thing. It's like you want to have a chance to to get to know somebody. And I don't know why, but my mind is continually comparing this story with the stories we see today, even these reality TV shows, you know, The Bachelor or something like that, where um, this the fellow or the bachelorette where they have choices of, of up to 25 people and they really don't have a chance to get to know any of them properly. And if you've if you've followed any of those things, my my girls used to watch those uh, in high school and mm -hmm. I would watch them with them because I wanted to discuss with them the way a man should treat a woman. I wanted to discuss mm -hmm. with them um, what what our society allows versus what is actually appropriate. And we see here through these letters of this young pastor um pressing forward in his pursuit of his ideal woman uh, through very appropriate means, you know, looking for ways to connect with her in, in physical form by, by just getting along with her just to talk. And yet that's not, not available. And so he writes to her and he waits for his, her mother's approval. And, you know, these kinds of things, they seem old fashioned, but they're still very appropriate today and how we should go about, you know, connecting with an individual in a real manner. And yeah, we also I see agree. that relationships that don't take time to get to know each other, uh, or at least follow the proper channels where there are, are safety checks in place, a parent, mm -hmm. a, a guardian, um, other people who know that person or know of them, um, checking out what they do for a living, um, finding out who their people are, you know, these kinds of things can really protect a young lady, a young man as well, into the future from making some devastating mistakes. Um, tell us more. And, well, they married um, shortly after that. I mean, the next letter is a lot longer and they began to exchange letters, but it wasn't long before they were married. By the next year, they were married. And of course, the Civil War breaks out almost immediately in Chattanooga, oh, which he ended up getting a church in Chattanooga. And that's where he stayed during the entire war. Because he said, I, God called me to Chattanooga. He didn't call me to leave. So he stayed during the entire war. And um, they had 16 children. And of those, eight lived <laughs> to adulthood. Let's see, six, six died in childhood. 16, six died in child, childbirth, you know, when they were very little. And then two lived to, you know, young adulthood. And the, the other eight lived longer and had children of their own. So there, And there's pictures that you can see of them with their boys. There's a school in Chattanooga now called Macaulay School that one of their, there's several of their boys 
put together, and then a girl put together a school for girls. So their influence in Chattanooga was considerable because despite having all wow. those children, she was involved in the community a lot. She took care of patients um, that came through either Union or um, Confederate soldiers during the war. She had anybody in her home that wanted to be there um, that might have ill or needed a place to stay or was um, destitute or any pastor that came through. And her kids were not allowed to say a thing to make them decide they wanted to leave. I've read some of her daughter's letters as well. So she they was weren't a allowed to say a thing. Lady. What? They weren't allowed to yeah. say a thing about what? About the guests and how long they might stay because some of the guests oh. were not very pleasant and they kind of wished they would leave. They were never allowed to say, when are you leaving? And is it going to be soon? And we're tired. You know, they were never allowed to say that because they were. <laughs> so there was never to be a pineapple left on there. There's the old, um, the historic way of telling a guest they've stayed too long by leaving a pineapple on their bed. And that's right. <laughs> so, and there were some crazy or, people that came through apparently. Wow. And it, yeah, they were. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. One of the daughters that was born that I talk about her in the book, her name was Mary. No, I guess that's the second book, the one that hasn't come out. But at, during the Civil War, they did have a daughter named Mary who lived to be 19 before she died. And so that will be in my second, the prequel to the book that's now out. But you know, she was active and looking out for people. They always took soup to the to the hospital in town to the, to the soldiers who were sick. And they were always doing stuff for people who the entire Civil War. Um, amazing people. That, now, they're very inspiring. The children who lived longer but passed away, uh, did they pass because they caught uh, many of the diseases or things at the time? Did in, any of the children... Um, you know, what were some of the reasons that they lost those children? I think the the one boy that they lost, the, his father thought that he had um, consumption, which was tuberculosis. The daughter, right. Mary, was 19, and someone said they thought she had pneumonia. So, mm. you know, they just couldn't treat things back then, and if you got sick, you could die. I mean, that was just the truth of it. But they did have a bunch of guys. So Chattanooga is now full of Macaulay's because they did have so many boys. <laughs> Wow, and it's astonishing when you think about it. The, um, the even the possibility that one family could survive because of the fact that there was so much disease and wars and an injury or things like this that could take you out. But the fact that mm -hmm. the Macaulays um, lost so many and yet thrive is mm -hmm. it's amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah, it is. So he was a very influential person in the city. Go yeah, ahead. how do they play in this book? Well, in how much this of the story do we wrote, hear? Oh, they're they're in the story throughout it because he's the pastor of the church, and she is helping the main character with her nursing. Um, ah. the, the main character of the book is Mary Beth. Um, Mary Beth Roper, and her father is dying, and he is the banker of the town, and the other guy is the, the partner in the bank. And he's trying to run a bank after just getting out of college without any experience in the midst of a war. And they learned that they have to pursue God. The name of the book is Pursuing Gold. They learned to pursue God because they had to pursue gold to keep the bank alive. Um, it was mm -hmm. a Confederate bank, and they had begun to go toward paper money because the banks had loaned their gold to the government, and they had to print paper money. And he determined he was not going to do that, that he was going to stay on the gold standard. But someone is counterfeiting money against their bank. And so they're trying so now to this rush was around. a true story. 
as well, right? There the, was a bank in Chattanooga. Was... Uh-huh. <clears throat> there was a bank in Chattanooga, but I created my own. Everything else about Confederate banking is accurate. Um, every mm-hmm. bank that was in the Confederacy died except one because they loaned their money to the Confederacy, and that made them go south when the Confederacy lost. They didn't have any money of their own. This bank mm-hmm. is my bank that I created, and I'm going to have it survive. But um, only one of them survived, and it was in New Orleans. But the truth, the truth is that there was um, in in the Confederacy there was a reality of this counterfeiting going on, which is kind of behind your story, correct? Yes, that was going on all over the all over the place. They were counterfeiting money. It was because it's very easy to counterfeit paper money, and they were having to print them so quickly anyway because they had to have something to spend. So yes, it was a very common problem. They had to just ignore it and keep going. They were fighting a war. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so now with the the family that is still in existence today, do you know anything about the the Macaulay family today? The Macaulay family is still in Chattanooga. There are numerous uh, members of the family. And in fact, when I wrote about Grace Macaulay, I met a uh, a girl who's, I think the Macaulay's were her great-great-grandparents, and she had all the papers that belonged to the Macaulay's, the papers and the pictures and so on. Um, oh, my goodness. And I, so, there, yeah, there are a number of Macaulay's still there and, and, you know, all around because there were so many guys, and, you know, each of them have two or three kids, and then pretty soon you've got a lot of Macaulay's. <laughs> it, to me, that is still amazing that... Through all of the adversity um, and the fact that this Macaulay family was so warm and loving and giving to their community around them with so much loss. You know, you said six Mm -hmm. children passed away very, very young. Yes, yes. Six children died in childhood and then two, two other ones got to got through college, basically, and then died. And then the others lived to adulthood and married and so on. Amazing. I'm going to point out the obvious. She must have really loved him. <laughs> Think about the... Oh, obvious. The, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, we have we have six children together, four mine, two his. And uh, um, something I don't talk about a lot, uh, I lost um, one little one prior to, to the child being born alive. And I cannot imagine uh, losing six children. You know, that that would be all of our combined children. And yet nowadays we hear so much that that can easily break a family up to lose a child. And yet there must have been a deep, deep love um, and faith between these people and faith in their Lord, because it not only did not break them apart, they continued in ministry toward others outward in volunteerism and it just i love stories like that because those are the people we aspire to be like to make our country be be so wonderful um to make ourselves be people that uh have a legacy as well um i'm just uh, it's amazing it's wonderful 
Yeah, you know, when in his memoir, he comments on the loss of his children being one of the crises in his life. In his life, mm-hmm. he goes through a list of different crises, and that's one of them. He names all the children. So it was oh, obviously, it broke his heart. Particularly the Mary at 19, he talked about her death and how he had knelt by her bed and prayed. He even told, he even wrote the prayer out that he had prayed. So it was obviously Do you have that? to lose his children. Do you I have that do. prayer? So give me a minute. Yeah, if you do, yeah. I can... Um, while you're doing that, I just want to tell people a little bit about you. So you look up that. Um, listeners, uh, if you want to learn more about Cindy, um, she goes by Cindy, regular life, and uh, but her name is Cynthia L. Simmons on her books. And she is the author of Pursuing Gold, set in the Civil War era. And I'm just thrilled that we get to share this with this Chattanooga, Tennessee native who gets to share more about the history of her town and the people of her town and people that we can admire and aspire to be like. She has a husband and five children and resides in Atlanta right now. She's a Bible teacher, a former homeschool mom, and she writes a column for Leading Hearts magazine. Love that magazine, by the way. And she conducts writing workshops. She's served as a past president of the Christian Authors Guild and directs the Atlanta Christian Writing Conference. So if you need a writing conference to go to to learn about, we'll have Cindy tell you um, real quickly about that as well. And Cindy's fond of history and offers young ladies the elegance of God's wisdom. She hosts Heart of the Matter Radio and co-founded Homeschool Answers. And her author website is clsimmons.com. So I wanted to make sure we got all that in there. So if people were looking for you, would like to go to your conference, would like to listen to your show, I wanted them to be able to connect. But did you have a chance to find that prayer where um, where he was praying for his daughter? Yes, this is long. It says, Father, if this request of mine be not possible, and if thou art now about to take her, grant me some portion of thy word on which I may lean in this awful trial that is coming upon us. Immediately, this text flashed into my mind. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh, my goodness. That's so beautiful. If Mm -hmm. our fathers prayed for us, if our husbands pray for our daughters, imagine the beauty that they'll be praying into their lives. And for that daughter to be able to hear that as she's going into the arms of the Lord, I can only imagine the comfort it brought her. The other thing I notice in that prayer is that he gives over the result to God. And I know that we often try to make the result happen ourselves. I'm one of those uh, type A personalities. And and I think you must be too. Are you a type A? I'm a type A. I have to go all the time. I'm always either reading or writing or even knitting. I have to do something with my hands. Yeah, I'm a constant go, go, go person. And I'm trying to come into a place um, in 2017 that gives me more balance, uh, more rest, more uh, ability to continue to connect in the real world with people like this, like having great conversations with people about people that we could admire that have um, forged a path for us to be able to even be here. Um, Cindy, can you tell us just a little bit, we've got about three minutes left, and I want to hear a little bit about your, um, the Christian, Atlanta Christian Writing Conference, and um, anything you would like to tell us before we close. Well, I, my book just came out, Pursuing Gold, and I also have my radio, which is um, for women who are seeking the elegance of God's wisdom. I address women in the church. 
and I sometimes use history to do it. And then I direct the Atlanta Christian Writers Conference, which this year will be a writing retreat. We'll be actually giving people time to write and then critique their mm. work and work together to kind of perfect it. And yes, that's my um, favorite kind. And I'm going to also be um, working on a, a book on Susanna Spurgeon now, who was the wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, as well as a sequel to Persona Gold. So I'm a busy woman. <laughs> <laughs> How do people find the uh, Christian Writing Conference and retreat? Um, we are under ChristianAuthorsGuild.org on the Internet, and we're also part of Word Weavers with Eva Marie Everson. We're kind of coming under her um, uh, word weavers because we discovered that was one thing that our group did not do well is critique well. So we, um, we're we a separate group as well, but we also do the word weavers. And so um, putting the conference this year into word weavers so that we can attract more people and, um, you know, kind of hook up with others. And uh, I think it's a great yeah. idea. I think it's a really great uh, area for anybody because we we range a lot of people tend to go from critique into criticism and criticism doesn't really help anybody critique is when no, you're not only speaking the truth in love but you're pointing out aspects that can be improved in a way that is workable and action items versus just criticizing and and breaking people down uh, a lot of times criticism goes uh, very personal Whereas critique is action items where you see something that can be improved. I know we're going to come here to the end of the show, so I just wanted to thank everyone for being with us. Thank you, Cindy. Cynthia L. Simmons with her book, Pursuing Gold. And I am Angela Breidenbach. My website is AngelaBreidenbach.com, B-R-E-I-D-E-N-B-A-C-H. This is Historically Speaking with Angela Breidenbach. And we are here every first Friday of the month talking about true stories of people from our history to help us be not only inspired and uh, go forward into our lives with great ideas that come from the past, but also to connect us to those people who have helped us to become who we are. So if you are speaking with Angela Breidenbach, be sure to listen in the first Friday of each month and share it with your friends. So thank you, Cindy, for being with us. And thank you, listeners. And if you have ideas, send them our way. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.